Welcome to Real Estate and Coffee. My name is Joel Arndt. Today is Thursday, October 31st, 2019. Here's some Canadian real estate news while you enjoy your morning coffee. Make a Canada met yesterday, um, or I guess held a press conference, and shared that they are going to be holding the interest rate, so no increase or decrease on the Bank of Canada's overnight rate. Here's being in Bloomberg.ca with a few more details. The Bank of Canada forecast a weaker outlook for the domestic economy amid heightened global downside risks, potentially giving itself more leeway to lower borrowing costs, which is similar to what it said last at the last meeting in September. In a decision Wednesday, policymakers kept their current 1.7% policy rate unchanged for an eighth straight meeting, calling the level appropriate even as they cut their growth forecasts for the next two years. But there are changes to this statement compared with one from September that suggests officials have become less confident in the face of a weakening global economy. These include removing explicit references to Canadian rates being stimulative and to the nation's economy operating close to potential. Wednesday's statement also referred to the recent gain in the country's dollar. The central bank is mindful that the resilience of Canada's economy will be increasingly tested as trade conflicts and uncertainty persists. Policymakers led by uh, Governor Stephen Pelosi said in the statement, In considering the appropriate path for monetary policy, the bank will be monitoring the extent to which the global slowdown spreads beyond manufacturing and investment. The statement and the fresh batch of more pessimistic growth forecasts will raise questions about the central bank's commitment to a neutral stance on rates, and particularly in the face of global easing in many other countries that has made the Bank of Canada an outlier. If the Federal Reserve lowers its interest rates later today, as expected, the Bank of Canada would have the highest policy rate in the industrialized world. As recently as last month, Deputy Governor Larry Shembri used a speech to note the central bank's confidence in Canada's resiliency to negative global shocks. Before the statement, investors were pricing in less than a 50% chance of a rate cut over the next 12 months. The Canadian dollar dropped on the statement following 0.4% falling 0.4% to $1.31 per US dollar at 10:05 a.m. in Toronto trading. Bank of Canada held its target overnight rate unchanged as expected but with a slightly more dovish tilt. Brett House, Deputy Chief Economist at Scotiabank, said by email, while not entirely setting up a rate cut at its next meeting, this leaves open the door a bit further for a December cut. The next, dis- the next rate decision is December 4th. Um, so coming back, if the Federal Reserve lowers its interest rates later today, as expected, the Bank of Canada would have the highest policy rate in the industrialized world. They did. So Canada's interest rate, Bank of Canada interest rate is 
0.75%. The US Fed lowered their rate another quarter percent to 150. Canada now has, man, that's insane. Canada now has the largest or the highest um, overnight policy rate uh, in the industrialized world. Uh, some A lot of countries have negative interest rates. I don't know if a lot, that's not true, but several, Switzerland, um, Germany, uh, I think India, but anyway, the, it, it says something about the Canadian economy, um, and you hope that there's not, it's not just this, I guess a part of me is a little skeptical about their reasons for holding it. You kind of want to, there could be a temptation to just like save face and make Canada look like our economy is doing strong by like holding steady for eight straight meetings, which is what an entire year. They only have eight meetings in a year. So, whereas, you know, the U S has had to cut rates three times because of, you know, concerns over weakening manufacturing numbers and trade tensions and what that's done to the U S economy. It makes Canada look good. And I, I hope, I guess there's a little thing in the back of my mind. That's like, you don't just hold rates just because you want Canada to look good. But I mean, these guys are professionals, so you have to trust them on some level, but that doesn't always mean they're going to act professional. Anyway, it's good. This is good. (laughs) Um, I was looking at some other indicators from uh, Stats Canada Um, this morning. We'll get average weekly earnings year year over year from August. As well as, so that'll be a good, that'll be something to pay attention to. as well as um, industrial product price index. So those will be a couple things to take a look at. Raw material prices as well, month over month. And GDP month over month. So today, a lot of a lot of very important numbers come out in terms of or for the Canadian for the Canadian economy. I'm going to come up here. Um, five-year Canada bond yields at 1.46 percent. Benchmark qualifying rate still at 5.19 primes still 3.95 average uh, our common five-year fixed mortgage is 2.69% variable at 2.91 this is from uh, mortgage-dashboard.ca
So, you know, in general, pretty much the same. Let's pull up. Just a second. So after going through all those numbers, something that the Edmonton Journal posted yesterday, 1 million Canadians juggling jobs, working 50 hour weeks, stats can. Now, this is the Edmonton Journal, so the Alberta economy is, or yeah, Alberta's economy is a lot weaker compared to like Vancouver or Ontario, and it's a little bit more precarious. So to think that 1 million Canadians are now juggling more than one job and work an average of 50 hours a week, it makes sense. And it could definitely happen. And, and that especially, it could, it could be a signal of this survey didn't, this article doesn't link to anything that gives any kind of reason why more people are working more jobs and more hours. It's an assumption that it's because of a weak economy, but there's also, you look at how expensive it is to live in Southern Ontario, how, how expensive it's becoming to live in Southern Ontario, especially the GTA or in Vancouver, you know, the major population centers, um, Montreal even. Heck, even, you know, up north, it's way cheaper to buy than it is to rent, which is a complete reversal of what it's like in southern Ontario. So it actually might not just be necessarily an economic weakness, you know, on a high unemployment. And in fact, this would signal that like people are having to get more jobs so that they can support a higher cost of living. So after reviewing all of those numbers and seeing that the Bank of Canada has left the their policy rate unchanged with less confidence going into the December's meeting. I don't know if it's weak economy that would be weak economic figures that would be the issue, which we'll find out tomorrow. Well, you know, we'll find out today and then I'll report on tomorrow what the um, the GDP, the GDP growth, uh, raw materials, the industrial price index, uh, average weekly earnings, that all comes out today. So that's going to be a really good indicator. But like the, the jobs numbers, the GDP numbers, they've all been up over the last, uh, in the last few reports, the last two or three quarters. So Canada's economy has actually been, from the numbers perspective, has been fairly stable, producing well. However, the cost of living in many areas is up as well. So especially in the GTA. And that's, a, I would say, from observation, purely from observation, that's why 1 million Canadians are juggling jobs. And I, I would imagine that number's got to be bigger. But, and this is just this, you know, this what stats can, can determine based on their recent survey. So Canada, Canada's economy is producing, seems to be producing well, but the cost of living is also high and rising. And that's, I think, where 
a lot like a lot of attention should be paid to if that cost of living outpaces the production or if the production just slows down at all that cost of living probably isn't going to slow down too quick and that could really cause an imbalance so okay love to hear your thoughts i'll i'll link to the edmonton journal article i'll link to the uh, bloomberg article in the show notes i am not an economist i don't know like jack about what all of this actually means i am just uh, all i know is what i read so if you have a little bit more professional insight i'd love to hear it email me recoffee at joelarn.ca recoffee at j-o-e-l-a-r-n-d-t dot c-a and uh, let me know what how, how you take all of this in. Um, what other stuff do you look at? I know there's a lot of numbers to look at. And, and I'm less concerned about like all the numbers right now. But I, I really enjoy looking at trends and seeing the direction that this entire Canadian engine, economic engine, is going. And, and even if the Bank of Canada had made a rate change, it doesn't necessarily affect things immediately. It doesn't have an immediate impact on our, our day-to-day life. I understand that. But it's fun and I think prudent to watch how the Canadian economic engine is being, being navigated through you know all the craziness that is the world on a consistent basis. So let me know what you think. One of the things, you know, this actually this article from the Edmonton Journal, I wanted to feature it. It's not long enough to feature it. There's not a lot of information. So I figured it was, it doesn't actually give you a lot of information. It was a pretty short survey from StatsCan. So I figured it just it was a good piece of the conversation about Canada's overall economic condition coupled with stats or the Bank of Canada's policy announcement yesterday. But it highlights something to me about how people feel about their own personal economic and financial health. And that's what's important. People aren't confident in their own ability to produce with one source of income. So they have to get another job. It's not the worst thing in the world. But that that can put on a lot of stress, especially um, one of the things that the, re- the report highlights is that it's actually um, a lot of the multiple jobs, sectors that multi- people are taking on multiple jobs in are traditionally female-dominated uh, job titles and industries. So it's a lot of these support roles, administrative roles, and service roles that are traditionally, not now, but traditionally female-dominated. So that means that there's a lot of, it could be a lot of working moms, it could be a lot of people, um, a lot of males getting into that space as well because they realize that they need to take on more uh, responsibility financially or they, they need to produce more financially and this is how they, and that's where the openings are. Anyway, I want to figure out how to create multiple streams of income without having to necessarily trade time for money. 
this is the whole wealth hacker concept, hacking the traditional routes to wealth. I want to be able to create multiple streams of income without having to add on the number of hours I work. I actually want to increase my hourly earnings with and 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 so you know minimize how many hours like i don't have a problem working more as long as the hourly earnings the hourly wage increase goes up because if that if by just increasing the amount of hours i work doesn't necessarily mean i'm doing some i'm doing effective work with those hours so this idea of hacking the traditional routes to wealth figuring out learning how to create multiple streams of income that increase your average hourly income without having to get a second job per se. That's what I want to learn. That's what a lot of other people have learned. That's, you know, that's what a lot of other people, a lot of successful people have figured out how to do. Um, Pierre Paul Turgeon, he's a, he invests in multi-residential apartment buildings. Uh, a friend of mine, Evelyn LaMarche, she and her husband, who, who her, her husband's retired at 32 because of uh, their student rental and uh, residential property portfolio um, and their frugality, like their modest, their modest lifestyle. There's Andy Tran and Charles Waugh who do basement suite conversions and they have uh, a growing development firm, but it started they started like flipping and turning basements into or turning single family units into duplexes. Omar and Matthew with their stock option uh, strategy. Tom and Nick Carradza, Marianne Gillespie building businesses from the ground up. This is, they're all going to be at the Wealth Hacker Conference and they all share how they have found success and built multiple streams of income hacking all of the traditional advice that they got from people around them saying, this is how you make money and become wealthy. And they said, well, I think there's a better way. If you want to find out more, go to wealthhacker.ca. And then of course, Grant Cardone, who manages $1.2 billion in real estate, built five companies, went through the downturn, got almost got slaughtered, almost lost everything, but figured out how to hang on, pardon me, figured out how to hang on to, to, uh, to at least one of the businesses he had had in 2008 and rebuilt. Came from, came from nothing. Drug addict, alcoholic in, uh, I think actually just drug addict in, you know, when he was 25, gets out of rehab, gets a sales job he hates, becomes one of the goes from that to become one of the leading sales trainers in the world. Multi-millionaire, managing $1.2 billion in real estate with the number one sales training company in the world. Okay, so this, this stuff is real and that's, like, that's why I'm going. Wealthhacker.ca, pick your ticket. If you want 10% off your ticket, use the discount code, or the promo code REALWEALTH, all one word. So wealthhacker.ca, pick your ticket, enter promo code REALWEALTH, all one word. You'll get 10% off, and then let me know if you're coming. Love to meet you. It's Halloween, this is October 31st. It's a Thursday. 
Have a good day.